0: From the Anajar and Levine Studios in downtown West Palm Beach, you are listening to Ken LaVica Live on ESPN 1063. We're just a little bit away from the Friday finale with J-Mart.
1: As we head you into, for most of you, a three-day weekend, we're presented by...
0: The FAU MBA Sport Management Program. Visit fau.edu slash
1: MBA sport. We're trying to get a grasp on college football i meant to spend more time on this in hour one but kd has taken over our lives here kd in the heat will it happen i don't know like i said if he comes to the heat stone and i totally pantsless okay that's just what it's going to be that's 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 the expectation, okay? Uh, But we need to get into college football because uh, USC, UCLA, by 2024, are going to the Big Ten. We could uh, think of no other person to discuss it with than our man, Josh Pate, 247, host of The Late Kick with Josh Pate, uh, 247, and uh, CBS Sports Network. He joins us here on Ken LeVick Alive. Josh, are you still out with the Elite 11 quarterbacks? I know you've been hanging out out there.
0: No, we... uh... We landed about 4 a.m. this morning in Nashville. And let me tell you, too, another piece of breaking news. Here's some breaking news. Red-eye flights kind of suck. Yeah. I don't like them all that yeah. <laughs> Not great. Not great. So uh, we're getting a,
1: a loopy uh, Josh Pate here on a Friday. Thank you for making the time. Appreciate it. And so I guess I want to ask you, 10 years from now, how many power conferences will there be in college football?
0: I hate this answer. I, <laughs> hate, well, I hate what I'm about to say. So – They had me on yesterday as this was happening, and I was thinking out loud, and I'm saying, all right, well, the SEC's made their moves, and the Big Ten's now making their moves, and they're all going to 16, and so I'm thinking about Clemson and Miami Mm -hmm. and North Carolina and Oregon, FSU. I'm just saying a combination of those teams and what exists in the ACC or the Big 12 is enough to form a third, if you want to call it a super conference, a super conference. But the more I talk to people in some cases, actually involved in these decisions, the more they said, now your flaw is assuming that they're going to stop at 16, and they're not. So I think given that, (laughs) we're headed for uh, a horizon that sees two super conferences, which makes sense because if every other thing that the powers that be in this sport are doing uh, seems hell-bent on mirroring the Sunday model, why not do that as well? Yeah,
1: yeah, in AFC and in NFC, in college football. Now here's where... I think that it's easy to get into doom and gloom when these things happen because it's different and it's uncomfortable. But I look at the way that conferences are currently realigned and I thought that losing Texas A&M and Texas every year was more damaging than losing USC and Washington State every year. Like, I just, the the, the Pac-12, it's inconvenient for the rest of the league, and they're going to have to figure it out, but USC, UCLA, there's some interesting potential new rivalries based off of Rose Bowl appearances that could pop up. You still have in the ACC, Florida State, Miami, Ohio State, Michigan. They're not going anywhere. Texas is going to end up going back into the SEC, playing Texas A&M. Like for me, it's not as brutally damaging as what some are making it out to be.
0: Well, here's so here's where my mind is at on this. It's not. It's not as though college football is going to sink into the abyss. In fact, quite the opposite. The dollar figures here are, will never have been higher. I always wonder when I hear some of my buddies say, "Change needs to happen because it will increase revenue," or "Change needs to happen because it will increase television ratings." Mm-hmm. I always ask them, "What TV network do you run? Like, what percentage <laughs> yeah. of that revenue are you getting? <laughs> why? Kickback, why? You yeah. <laughs> yes. Why have you allowed a bunch of people that, that work?" on a higher floor than you've ever been elevation-wise in your life, why are you allowing them to convince you it's in your best interest? No, I agree it's in their best interest for this to happen. The trick is convincing a bunch of folks it's also in their best interest for college football to go this way. My personal feel on it is I understand both sides of it, but my personal feel is when I was being raised up in rural Georgia, I loved the difference in the Saturday product versus Mm -hmm. the Sunday product. Mm -hmm. I liked both of them, but I loved that there was a difference. I loved the territoriality. I loved the regionality. I loved that saying West Coast football and Midwest football and South football or Southern football meant different things. And you just kind of throw it all in a hodgepodge, and it's in the name of more revenue, and it's in the name of, quote-unquote, growing the game. And I just some of this stuff I look at as change, and I don't necessarily look at it as progress.
2: Now, Josh, we're talking about change and talk about increasing revenue and everything. You had Brady Quinn on the late kick show when you were out in California and he proposed something that, that, that I thought was really fascinating. He said, I don't think any of this happens, including NIL, without COVID. Do you agree? I mean, it, it seemed like when COVID hit, like that's when everybody realized, like, I got to go do this for myself. Or are we going to do this for us? Where are we going to be in the future? You think that's true?
0: he is he's dead on the money now i i can't say that conference realignment never would have happened because yeah. you still would have had the playoff elephant in the room and, right. and what that did to drive people into corners but i can confidently tell you now he's on the right track when covid happened and each conference and even member institution within their conference made the decisions they made it was just like everyone took mental notes and we did it in media fans did it but also administrator, administrators did it and in the Pac12 there was just i mean you think the Big 10 was bad the Pac12 there was a total deference to football period and even if they were going to play football they were essentially told well we got to wait for the Big 10 we essentially got to see what dab lets us do and USC sitting there UCLA sitting there i guarantee you Oregon felt the same way they're sitting there saying wait a second This is not Miami of Ohio over here. Like We should not be waiting for anyone else to tell us what we're allowed to do. And that was one mental note that was taken. And uh, just because it seems like COVID had subsided and the sport had returned back to normal, those feelings didn't go away. And another part of it was folks on the West Coast to tell you, I was out in L.A. the last several days, even before this news broke. When you talk to people off the record uh, at Pac-12 Network or just working up and down the West Coast, they still criticize daily the name Larry Scott, who is a longtime Pac-12 commissioner. Just total ineptitude on all fronts. USC's administration hadn't done themselves favors for a while, but they looked around and said, we should not be in a situation where our fate and our future is outside of our hands, and alignment with a conference like the Big 10 we'll make sure that doesn't happen in the future.
1: 2 4 Josh Pate. Late kick with Josh Pate. Kept it on CBS Sports Network here on Ken Levick Alive, ESPN 106.3. Uh, so if it is two conferences ultimately, and I, it sounds like Big Ten, SEC, those are going to be the black holes that suck up everything here in, in power college football, which conference dies first? The Pac-12, the Big 12, or the ACC?
0: I think the easy answer is the Pac-12 because – The Big 12 and the ACC, they will have fight in them. They have a will to survive in them. I don't sense that that exists in the Pac-12. I think they look at it and the collective spirit out there, minus their superpower team, i.e. USC, and especially if Oregon were trying to make a move, uh, but even if Oregon doesn't try and make a move, the spirit out there is is so defeatist in nature, and it's so, oh, we're over it in nature, so the ACC, man, they'll fight. The Big 12, they are fighting. They went and kind of tried to proactively get four new teams. The Pac-12, the response from people inside the network, I can't stress this enough. I talked to people aligned with the Pac-12 yesterday, and moments after this news broke, their immediate response to me in person and via text is, well, the Pac-12's done. Like there was no question about it. So wow. even, even they think internally they're done. Um,
1: I do want to ask you then, it, keeping in mind that we—I'm with you. I think this goes, and we discussed it immediately yesterday. This ultimately will be two conferences. Right now, just short-term hypothetical: the ACC starts hunting, or the uh, the SEC starts hunting. Okay, the the most attractive team for the SEC in the immediate future—you have to pick one—is Miami or Florida State. Who would the SEC try <laughs> to pluck first?
0: Well, I think that they would – so the old school answer is Miami because you're thinking media market. But I've talked to some people about this because I've never had good instincts on this. I don't care about media markets. I care about quality of product on the field. So I was always off base on this. Well, it sounds like it may be coming back around a little more to the way someone like me would think about it because it sounds like folks at that level in the SEC believe – We have already overly saturated enough our need to expand impression rate and get into this market and that market. Plus, they believe the brand just sells coast-to-coast enough anyway now, where it's not pivotal that they live and die on getting new market share. Mm -hmm. What they're thinking about now is brand alignment. And so if you think about Miami or FSU in terms of brand alignment – I think from the in-stadium experience at Doge to a little closer proximity, they may look at Florida State, yeah. and they may say, hmm, that program feels a little more SEC. I'll tell you the one I think there's going to be a fight over, and that's Clemson. Oh, yeah. Because I think people have just always believed, oh, if there's expansion, Clemson's going to the ACC or the SEC. I believe that, too, until yesterday when someone very, very close to that situation said, no, not so fast on that. There's, there's another player in the room for us, so just sit tight.
2: Josh, sticking in the ACC, let's talk a little Miami. I know, I know you're fond of, of Crystal Ball and how you're recruits, and you've also been talking about how there's potential that they flirt with the top five recruiting class beginning with this cycle and from here on out. But do you see it translating to the on-field success side of things this season? And if so, i got to throw it in there, is plus 700 Miami, the ACC odds, worth a sprinkle? Is there any value there? Well, I
0: sprinkled it, so
2: yeah, <laughs> okay. I put my money it's on it.
1: It's been sprinkled. All right. <laughs>
0: Yes, yes, the sprinkling has happened. Um, I, look, I, I don't look at this. It's, it's always important to think about the state of the conference around you. There is no alpha dog in the ACC right now. And if Clemson is your alpha dog when there's that much uncertainty, not only at quarterback, but even around quarterback, who can promise me that that program just ticks merrily along after losing foundational elements at both coordinator positions? So. I mean, if I, I, may have the best, I may have the best quarterback in the ACC, for all I know, at Miami. And that's not a roster and a cover that was left bare. In fact, there are people who think if, if Diaz would have gotten one more year, they would have had a good team this year. So yeah. I don't think this is a start-from-scratch situation at all. Um, I, I will say this, for the long-term prospectus of Miami, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for them to get close this year and then fall short. Because one of the things you can see happen sometimes is if you have immediate success, folks get fooled into thinking they've arrived before they've really arrived. So, hey, I just gave you a win-win. You can, you can call it a win if you win it, and you can call it a win if you, eh, almost, good try, but we didn't win it this year. I because recruiting is going to give you confidence every year moving forward.
1: Make sure to catch Late Kick with Josh Pate, CBS Sports Network, also 247. Josh does great work. Uh, Just a couple of more here. Monday, and it seems like a million years ago once NBA Free Agency started, but I led this show talking about the recruiting failures, quote-unquote, of Billy Napier. And so uh, has Florida underwhelmed a bit in recruiting? Sure. Do I think it's irrational to criticize him? Yes, and we actually referenced something that you had said over the weekend about Billy Napier. Yeah, is it off to the start that Florida fans would have liked? No, but this message board trolling of Billy Napier and this panic is insane, but one thing that I thought Florida really screwed up on is this Billy Napier open letter. I'm sure this was planned a month ago to put on an open letter, but to to sync it up with the timing of losing on a big four-star quarterback recruit to Miami, someone in Gainesville had to say, hey, we can put this off maybe post-holiday or for a couple of weeks. We don't want to think that we're trying to soften a blow here and acknowledge that, hey, things aren't going so well. So, hey, fans, we love you and we love your passion, and this is what's great about Florida football. I just thought that it was a really bad look for Florida, and they made it more difficult for Billy Napier here in the short term by not putting the, the,
0: the ax on that open letter. Well, here's the other bad part. When you release an open letter, most people do not read the letter. They just know that an open letter <laughs> yeah, was released. That's so a great point. Most people just know, all right, Florida recruiting, not exactly a rocket ship right now, and, oh, hey, did you hear? Their head coach had to write a letter to the fans before he's ever coached a game. <laughs> that's really where the story begins and ends. I love most people. it. Yeah, so, so I don't know that that does you a world of good in perception. Look, this thing, it, when you hire Mario Cristobal, you don't have to prove anything in recruiting because he's already proven it. When you hire Billy Napier, he could have all the capability in the world, and for all I know, he will, but he has the burden of proof still in his lap, because he doesn't have that established track record, and so it it was never going to take off immediately. I think what you have to worry about there is every time you talk to someone around Florida, yeah, they can talk about Napier, but then it extends beyond that, and they got a problem with the way their collective is structured, and they got a problem with this and that administratively, and all the time I hear that the this and that is sometimes out of the head coach's hands. So I want to see Billy Napier with the same full deck that his competitors are playing with. Then I'll know I can judge him Mm because he's a very, very good evaluator and developer. I know that because guys at the highest level tell me that all the time. Is he going to be playing with an equal roster? Because you don't out scheme people at this level uh, more than a few times a year. You've got to have the roster. It's all about talent acquisition. And so it's, I'm willing to give him time. I hope the message board culture is willing to give him time too.
1: Uh, you're a, a rural Georgia boy. Uh, you strike me as someone who is uh, is doing fireworks at home as opposed to uh, preferring to go to the community celebration.
0: The community celebration is it's like wearing shirts with brand names on them. Okay, I got out of that lifestyle a long time <laughs> oh, ago Come on I pay i I pay twenty dollars for a pack of white tees, and I'm good. doesn't matter what they pay me around here. I will never change it. so yes. I am backyard, questionable legality. It's going down as soon as the sun goes down. <laughs>
1: Military grade for Josh Pate. Uh, Josh, get some sleep. Thank you for making the time for us, brother.
0: I appreciate it, guys. All right, that Later, is Josh. Josh Pate,
1: 247 Late Kick with Josh Pate, joining us here on Ken Levick Alive.